and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. I am your host, uh, just your stepdad, your good old stepdad, fun stepdad. Just really, really want you to like me, your good old stepdad, Tyler Hannon. Uh, joining me today is the Egg Snake, fresh from under the bed, Kayla St. Hey. And joining us again is an androgynous five-year-old, uh, Eva Friedman. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Uh, you are here after talking about a movie that made us cry with Inside Out. You're here to make us cry again because yes, I thought we were friends, but I'm really starting to question that. But Listen, I choose not to ever suffer alone. <laughs> this is true. I guess, we, I guess we're here for you. I mean, uh, I feel like using the podcast to suck us in, sucker us into this, though. It's just, I'm just tired of crying, Eva. Listen, I'm going to be honest, I knew that I was never going to be able to convince myself emotionally to watch this movie, and then I saw it pop up on the top 250 list, and I was like, this is the perfect excuse, and I'll need my friends afterward anyway. So it was a win-win. You know, funny story, Eva actually once told one of our friends that part of life was getting girls to suffer with you, (laughs) so (laughs) I think that she is maybe not trustworthy <laughs> with emotional matter <laughs> that is so true that is a thing that i once said i i i mean out of context that makes me sound like a um like a pretty messed up person but i do stand behind that statement <laughs> i mean you're not wrong <laughs> I, i'm really not i mean it's it's a, listen no one should have to suffer anything alone, and that's part of the point of the movie anyway Yes, that was a good point. Actually, certainly, <laughs> podcast's over. Sorry, guys. No, I'm not ready to cry yet. Guys, okay. this is a short one. I'm not ready to feel things. I'm not ready to feel things. So, Eva, have you? Um, what have you watched recently? And I swear to God, if it's like I don't know, what are some sad? If it's if they're sad movies, I might just Old hang yeller. up on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I've really been enjoying Schindler's List lately. No, um, I. That does seem like I, your type of movie. Like you just. <laughs> You just Absolutely. love World War Two movies. Listen, um, I have very happy suggestions, actually. Um, first thing I watched was I've been obsessed with the trailer for Electro Woman and Dinah Girl that's coming out soon. Um, I forget exactly when it's coming out, but this is the first time in 24, almost 25 years of my life, that I've ever seen not just a superhero, but anyone in any kind of media that looks like me. Um, I've literally been asked if I was in a heart before and it's like, I didn't really think about it when it was released. I didn't think about it in terms of that. I was just excited it was going to be fun. And then I, I saw the trailer and I had to pause it cause I couldn't see cause my eyes were leaking. So, <laughs> um, I was really frustrated with a lot of the commentary I was seeing about the trailer and a lot of people were really brushing it off and, um, yeah, I just really want people to give it a chance because I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, are seeing themselves for the first time, and that's pretty incredible. What was it called again? It's Electro Woman and Dinah Girl. It's um, it's going to be, I believe it's a digital release through Legendary's new digital um, marketing, and um, it's with Grace Helbig and Hannah Hart. Oh, that, Yes. Yes. I was trying to think of, like, that sounds familiar. Now that you say that, I remember seeing some stills from that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. 
I was like, I was thinking of something animated. I'm like, is that animated or no, it's not. Okay. No, yeah, this is this is live action, um, and it's you know in a market where we're not really getting much diversity. I mean, and we're not getting much diversity in any market, but you know, in this one in particular, it's been specifically stale. So it's nice to see it starting to open up, you know, slowly but surely. I take it it's especially Dinah Girl's undercut that's really got you stoked. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that, and you know, Hannah Hart is also you know, androgynous and gay. And um, I very much appreciate all the work she does to try and make the world a better place. And it's cool to see her career growing and for her to be reaching other people because I think she can do a lot of good in the world. So I'm excited to see, you know, just how far this one can go and who it can reach. And for those who don't know, and I only kind of know, can you give us a little bit of background on who Grace Helbig and Hannah Hart are? Oh, um, so Grace Helbig and Hannah Hart are from our you know, first wave YouTube stars. Um, Hannah has her show, My Drunk Kitchen, where she drinks alcohol and cooks something and talks about some sort of motivational, inspirational message. Um, and Grace Helbig is, um, I would say she's more of a personality. Um, she has, you know, they've both written books. Uh, Grace Helbig has her own podcast. Uh, they've done, they did a movie with also another YouTube star, Mamrie Hart, Camp Dakota. Um, and yeah, they both have really, you know, helped shape what YouTube is today. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to you. But yeah, I think they're both, you know, really great role models. I think they're working to make media a better place. And yeah, that's how I would describe them. That sounds like a pretty inspiring story all around. Dude, their friendship is so beautiful. I'm not like a super huge fan of like the whole YouTuber thing, but... Watching anything that Hannah and Grace do together is heartwarming and beautiful. And we will always be uh, inspired by anyone who has a show called My Drunk Kitchen. This is true. Have you really <laughs> never seen any no, of I've, I've, No, I've seen some of it. <laughs> I just am not super familiar with either of them beyond the uh, beyond the few videos that I've watched. And maybe that means I'm the out-of-touch one for not <laughs> knowing more. No, I was going to say she's also you know part of the Undercut Club. So, I mean, by default. She is the bomb. <laughs> Basically. I am the only one on this podcast right now without an undercut of some sort. I mean, it's really sad, and you should probably get with the times, because it's the best way to live your life. I mean, this is getting a little too deep, but like, my hair is not super... Uh, my hairline is not super amenable to undercuts. Or haircuts of any kind. You just shave, just shave my initials into the side of your head, and we'll call it even. Yeah, I, I agree with this. Oh, absolutely. Just EF right there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would look good. They're good initials. It's alphabetical. It'll go over That's really well at your job, probably. Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, I could probably get away with it. I just sit at a computer in, um, in a small room all day and just email without getting my responses. Just emailing and emailing and sitting alone. So alone. You work in an office. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, Eva, is there anything else you have been watching or excited about or whatever? Yes, I am in trying to recover from the recent month of television scandals. Um, I took it upon myself to watch Debs, which is a movie from 2004. Um, it's got a wild cast, um, and it's basically a Charlie's Angels spoof. And uh, the love interests are two women, Sarah Foster and Jordana Brewster. 
And the whole reason why they can't be together is because Sarah Foster is, like, the head spy and she's, like, the top scoring person or whatever. And Jordana Brewster is a villain who tried to sink Australia because she, and I quote, doesn't like their attitudes. (laughs) Um, The second best part of the movie is that the second best part of the movie is that there are guns aimed at lesbians and none of them die. You know, I hear that that's actually really hard as stray bullets have a tendency to just seek out lesbians usually. So that's pretty impressive that they were able to get through like the entire movie without dying. Yeah, and like it's, I mean, this took place 12 years ago and no lesbians were killed in the making of the movie. No <laughs> lesbians were killed in the movie. It's, and you know, as Tyler pointed out recently, you know, with my being an extra, a professional extra, you know, I should probably invest in a bulletproof vest. So. We have so many children to feed, so I would prefer if you were safe on the job. Well, yeah, and they all want freaking Domino's as if that's like the <laughs> mecca of pizza or something, so. There's much better pizza. Look, we a... are a simple Midwest family, Eva. I have bad <sighs> news for you. You're the only one that lives in glamorous L.A. We, we could get pizza. <laughs> Listen, the, you guys liking Domino's is literally the only thing I don't like about you. <laughs> they no. have a rewards system. Let, let me be clear. Right? Okay, but pizza not, ha- I do not choose, I would not choose pizza Domino's. Pizza is its own reward. It shouldn't have a system. <laughs> but we get a free pizza for every sixty dollars that we spend at Domino. Yeah, but we could. Get but pizza is it worth? Or Jets or? Dude, Jets is like fourteen dollars for a one-topping pizza. Fuck that. All right, look, I'm not saying that Domino's is like the best pizza. Obviously, I know that Domino's is not the best pizza, objectively. But sometimes when you're on a budget and they have a $7 two-topping carryout deal, you just have to make do with what the universe has given you. This is you know, that sounds like something that a showrunner probably said when they were trying to justify killing off a minority character. Wow, that is like... <laughs> Those things are not comfortable. I thought that was going to be... That sounds like a podcast host trying to sell a pizza. Because they have advertising money that's being spent that way. But that Listen, I'm that trying was... to bring it back to my central point that <laughs> diversity has been... That Kayla eating Domino's pizza television. is like killing off her lesbian characters. I her <laughs> I was trying to make a joke that you were saying that it was all you could afford. And that that's why you were doing it. And I was just trying to say that's a sad excuse. I can't believe we have to have our divorce on recorded public radio thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what this is. It's, I mean, sort of. We're internet celebrities now. It's fit, it's fitting that this is a public <laughs> situation. Speaking of which, I would like to point out that for some reason, our podcast has not yet been sponsored by Squarespace or Audible. Or Domino's. Really. Or Domino's or IMDb. Or Casper mattresses. (laughs) And I just really want to know, what the fuck? (laughs) Probably because you're begging for advertisements on the podcast. (laughs) My website was made with Squarespace, and I love it. So Squarespace Squarespace should hit you guys up with money. Yeah, I would love it. You know, I'm not a graphic designer, (laughs) but when I had to make my website for my drawing business... Squarespace was really there to help me out. I literally just, like, recited that to Ben as he was trying to explain to me that he could just build a website for us from scratch. And I was like, but Ben, 
Squarespace is fun and easy to use. You know, they're not going to pay us for advertisements if you keep giving them just free (laughs) rent. I've never even used Squarespace, but I would if they would let us use them as an advertisement. I would also... If we were in the blanket floor right now, I'd be storming out. (laughs) We're recording this week from Ben's walk-in closet because all of our furniture is gone. So... This is actually a step up if you think about it. This was a movie podcast once. Um, would you guys, wait? So would you guys say you're recording in a small room? Yeah, actually, smaller than the room that Joy and Giant Jack. <laughs> yeah, there's no skylight, no egg snake, but we do have a good amount of clothing in here. Plenty of clothes and uh, boxes. Uh, uh, there I might see, be. I see magazines. There's a creepy there. voodoo doll in this dresser somewhere. Oh goddamn it! Anyway, uh, so yeah, I guess so, we'll get back to the point. <laughs> yeah, so go watch Debs because it's super funny. It's a great spoof. It doesn't take itself seriously. The cast is amazing. And again, happy lesbians. This has been the Lesbian Lounge. Kayla, what have you watched this week? <laughs> um. All right. So actually, so the last time we did an episode. Or the last two, I don't know, one of the last two episodes we did, I talked about how Ben and I have been watching Battlestar Galactica, and the good news is, is that we are still doing that, and it is still probably amazing, and the greatest, most addicting show that I have watched in recent memory. Um, I do have to say, so the last time I talked about it, I said that I felt that the first episode or two were really arcane and kind of hard to get into, because it just sort of drops you in, in the middle of all of the action, And I found out after this that there was actually a three-hour miniseries that aired before the actual series started. And had we known about that and watched it, all of our questions would have been answered and nothing would have been confusing at all. So I'd like to apologize to the (laughs) cast and crew and writers of Battlestar Galactica for making you sound like you didn't do all you could to make a good show because you did you know i think they're doing all right and that they moved on to other projects successfully and uh it'll be okay have you seen where some of those people are now i don't know if that's true (laughs) so basically what you're saying is you watched yes that is what kayla is saying (laughs) kayla is 100 percent saying that she watched the entire show incorrectly to be fair ben has watched the show like four times and didn't know about the miniseries either ben isn't on a movie podcast (laughs) espousing his knowledge of the recording so it's ben's fault yeah pretty much but anyway so battlestar galactica is really good dragging your boyfriend on this podcast (laughs) it's gonna be really sad when we get to the next episode and you're like so ben and i can't watch things together anymore (laughs) because I killed him. <laughs> Did not kill him. Oh my god. Anyway, so the point is, Battlestar Galactica is a really good show, continues to have really awesome diversity and interesting storylines. We literally spent like 13 hours of one day watching it, which I don't necessarily recommend, and I'm going to be really sad when we finish it probably within the next week at the current rate. <laughs> really, the only reason we haven't finished it yet is because we had to go to work and Ben had to work on like his website and stuff. So, yeah. That's a sad excuse. 
I know. Trust that's, me. That, I that's tried just to a sad him. excuse. You can do better. <laughs> I tried to tell him. I wanted to stay up till 6 in the morning, and he was like, Kayla, it's 4 a.m. You have to go to bed. And I was like, Ben, you are being a quitter right now. I can't believe this. And he just doesn't know that this is how he dies <laughs> in the next few yeah. weeks. He's trying to get you to stop watching a TV show. <laughs> you just snap. No. Anyway, so the other thing. So Tyler and I have been doing... Uh, an even more early preparation for Halloween than ever previously seen in the it's six years of our friendship. It's getting Dude, warmer. It's April. It's getting warmer, so that means in time <laughs> it will have to get colder again, and fall will be here. So it's April. We watched a bunch of horror movies this week. Halloween is a year-round it's, celebration. It's April. Right, let me just lay, let me just lay this out. So, when I was young uh, and a church-going uh, holy young lad. Uh, the pastor often would do a uh, sermon after Christmas and talk about how, you know how you got that great Christmas spirit within you, which, uh, it's scratching, whatever. Uh, but he's like, what? You keep that spirit within you year round. And I really took that to heart and applied it to a pagan holiday. <laughs> Technically, Christmas is a pagan holiday. They just kind of re- revamped it to fit with Christianity. A pagan holiday that has not been repurposed for religious means. We're is... Lutheran. What are you talking about? Reformation is on Halloween. Oh Whatever. God. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> when we were kids at my grade school, we didn't. We weren't allowed to have Halloween parties. We had Reformation parties. <laughs> that sucks. <Whoa. laughs> All right. Like, I didn't even have damn. to do that. So. Before you get in with your whole hasn't been repurposed thing, it has. God, they've gotten their claws into everything. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> last year we started in July, which I thought was pretty incredible, but it just kind of happened, you know. I just suddenly you watched nine horror is, movies no, in no, three no. days. This is what happened: is all of our furniture was taken from our apartment because it wasn't ours. And... We have furniture still, it's just not in our apartment <laughs> at this time. <laughs> so we've been using my mattress pad and the foam thing that Tyler brought from his parents as a couch. I just feel like that kind of I just feel like that kind of lends to like a camp out fire vibe where you're gonna watch a scary movie. I think this lends to people thinking our lives are kinda of falling apart. <laughs> No, I mean, why do you guys uh, marathon horror movies when you can just look around your apartment? The car, the, <laughs> the car just got repossessed, you know. <laughs> Don't that is not true. That is not true. Jeez, like when I get scared, like when I want to get scared, I just look at my bank account. So I feel like you guys should. Just look around at what furniture you do and don't have. No, we, we, want, we we're trying to watch. We're trying to watch situations <laughs> that are full of more hope and that are uh, more survivable than ours. Yeah. So anyway, the other movie that I'm going to talk about. <laughs> uh, so we actually watched two Guillermo del Toro produced movies. I watched three. Tyler watched three, but we're not on his section yet. No, oh, fine. <laughs> so we watched <laughs> the Orphanage, which is oh, really good. So good. And we watched Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is really bad. Oh, Guy Pierce. So Don't Be Afraid of the Dark has, stars Katie Holmes as a stepmom who is just trying her best. And let me just say, we were not Love in love her. with Katie Holmes in that movie. Actually, she was fine. She, she was, was probably the best part fine. of it. Fine, yeah. So love, basically the plot... I love Katie Holmes. She's pretty good. But like basically the plot of this movie is that there's this little bratty girl... And she tries to befriend the evil tooth-wanting gremlins that live in her home. And it turns out, shocker, that they are evil. 
and they want to kill her and take her teeth because of some deal that was struck in the 1800s where they wanted baby teeth. I, we weren't really paying attention to a lot of this movie because it was really bad. It was really bad. And I just, like, am really confused as to how something was, like, how different these two things that Guillermo del Toro worked on could possibly be because the orphanage is considered a masterpiece and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark is literally just Guy Pearce being a dick to his daughter until the end. And also, spoilers, um... My least favorite thing about this movie is that Katie Holmes spends the whole movie building a positive and healthy relationship with her new stepdaughter who initially did not like her and, like, becoming, like, her protector from these evil creatures and being really the only person that believes her about it in the first place and giving her the tools to fight back and defend herself like a camera that flashes and annoys them and she lets her keep the razor to fight back. And so, how does Katie Holmes' character get rewarded for this? She gets dragged down into the furnace by the gremlins while daughter and asshole dad get to live. And becomes a gremlin, apparently. Yeah, she... like, like, what? These these tragic, heroic sacrifices can work in movies, but this movie, like, while, like, Katie Holmes does all that and is, like, a good stepmom and all, the movie does not do it well enough or build up anything around it well enough for this tragic sacrifice to be merited. It more just feels like Killing off the stepmom so that the stepdad and whatever, yeah, or the, so that the dad and yeah, it's just totally unearned and lazy. And the, the whole movie was just ending. so lazy. It was just so bad. And then yeah, so the ending is like the twist that Katie Holmes now has become like the gremlin queen or something, which is I guess they <laughs> said that that would happen earlier in the movie, but I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, it's amazing to me how many like bad horror movies seem to have the same plot. Because what you just described sounds almost exactly like a small budget film that I was an extra on, <laughs> where I almost legitimately lost my life. So, oh my God. I mean, this is this got a little weird. Did Katie Holmes try to eat your teeth? No, um, this is it's an. <laughs> are you are you allowed to say story. the name of the movie or no? I don't even know. You don't the even... name of the movie. Oh my God! Do you, was I anybody in it? No, no. This was like a college thing um but it was shot at like an abandoned church in california um i'm trying to be really choosy with like my details and how i describe this because i don't want like i feel like would be our luck that like the director would listen to it and be like and call and be like excuse me but you're blacklisted from california now Um, (laughs) okay it's fine you don't talk about it i'll say that we were shooting next to um a um, so I'm really trying to figure out what, like, I should and shouldn't say. It's okay. You totally don't um, have to talk we, about it. Just know that I'm going to spend okay, every no, no, waking no. moment trying to find it. <laughs> well, no, like, the, the more vague I describe it, I think the funnier it'll be. Um, okay. We were shooting next to, it was an overnight shoot. Um, so we were in this abandoned church. Um, a crew member had to be taken to the hospital. And we were also shooting next to a place where we heard children screaming all night. Oh my god! I think you told me about yeah, this once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah is... this was, it, it was a um, it was one of those things. So, and again, the plot sounds very similar to what you just described. That's amazing. I hope. I wish it was like I wish I didn't know it was a college that so I could just like in the back of my mind imagine that somehow you were on the set of Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. <laughs> It's actually called I mean, Don't yeah, Be Afraid of the Lights. It's a yeah. very, it's not just trying with its ripping off. Like, um, I think it was a college thing, but it might have been a little bit bigger. But e- either way, I was in a dress in the middle of the night, so that's a horror movie on its own. 
Do you have your own IMDb page yet? No, but I'm pretty sure uh, Alex or Steve is going to start one for me at this point. Wait, there isn't Eva Friedman. Hold on. Is this you? <laughs> oh, God, please. No, it looks like writer and miscellaneous crew. I'm pretty sure you didn't write a movie called Pepper in 1997. But you yeah, can no, write I, the remake. I didn't, but I should specify that I make a living by being an extra, and it's become a game for people to see when and where they can spot me. So that's um, that that's Beautiful. a thing that exists in the world. <laughs> Eva's our contact within the movie business. We're, uh, we're pretty powerful. Um, I do want to make a comment, and I wrote about this on Letterboxd a bit. The reason it's kind of notable that Guillermo del Toro produced them, when usually it doesn't really matter what someone produces, because the producer usually doesn't have much impact on how good or bad a movie is. He probably tons of movies brought to you from the makers of the Blair Witch Project or something like that. Uh, But with Guillermo del Toro, there's a weird... Uh, kind of del Toro verse where a lot of the movies he produces, or at least a fair amount of them, end up they have a very similar uh, style, a very similar uh, visual style to them, and they kind of deal with a certain level of fantastical horror. And like the Orphanage is one that was very good. Don't be afraid of the dark wasn't as good, but it definitely had that a similar feel. And I watched uh, Julia's Eyes. Which wasn't at, at, didn't wasn't in as much of a fantasy realm, but still felt kind of in line with it. And it's just interesting how Del Toro is a producer where you can kind of see either his fingers or his inspiration and all that. And it just kind of makes me wonder where it starts. So whether he seeks these people out or like they seek him out because they have a similar style and were inspired by him, or maybe he just has like a visual production company that works on all these movies. I don't know. But... It's interesting. It's worth diving into. I would like to point out that this other Eva Friedman on IMDb <laughs> was a production runner on a 1992 film called Romper Stomper, which stars Russell Crowe being a skinhead, which is kind of amazing. I've never heard of this before. That is how I spent my toddler years, actually. <laughs> so I think that actually is me, believe it or not. She was more of a crawler than a runner. But, yeah. Uh... <laughs> like. Yeah, it's... In, like, ten years, someone's going to be trying to discover, like, all these weird fun facts about me, and they're going to find this, and they're going to trace it back and be like, when Eva Friedman was two, she was a runner for Russell Crowe. And then they're like, oh, that makes sense, that thing she did a couple years ago. Oh, no. (laughs) It's all going to make sense. It's all going to come full circle. So I appreciate you um, digging up that fun fact about my life. For everyone yeah, you listening. Take a lot of inspiration from Russell Crowe, especially when he plays a skinhead. Look, as we know, Eva is, <laughs> or I am Eva's number one fan. So if you're going to have to fight my mom, who will? <laughs> Your you mom will you be and, in you on the cover up, though. You and my mom are going to have to do that out. Why do you, what do you, for everything that you know about my mom, you think she would cover up any embarrassing fact about me? <laughs> this is true. Like, of course, my daughter was a production runner on a movie about skinheads, and I am proud. <laughs> yeah, she would, she would be telling the world about that. So, uh, you would have a partner for that, to be honest. <laughs> One day your mom and I will write, like, the tell-all exposed biography. <laughs> I swear to God, you two can never meet. <laughs> I'm excited. <But> anyway, <laughs> I have once again derailed this. I'm sorry. Tyler, what did you watch this week that you would like to talk about? 
Well, I saw this incredible movie. Uh, it's called Batman vs. Superman. I didn't see Batman vs. Superman. No. You tried. Oh, here we oh, go. No, I didn't see it. Yeah, oh, thank I will. God. <laughs> I will. Kayla's probably going <laughs> to... Kayla, if, if, if everything works out, Kayla will be spared my podcast ranting uh, about that movie. But we will see. Uh, I watched... I have watched so many things... Uh, since our last episode, as entail, as Kayla hinted at, and the things I would like to talk about, one I just finished, and it's something I'll be writing something up about, but uh, Brick, uh, the 2006 film by Ryan Johnson, uh, it is a noir film that takes place in a high school, starring uh, hashtag JGL, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and... Uh, it's god that movie is so so good in it's uh, kind of uh over the top of the outset being this noir about a drug trade and a murder taking place in a high school which as we have learned from television are the most important years of our lives so maybe it's not that over the top it's just true to life but uh, one thing i found i enjoyed in this rewatch is that the movie uh it takes itself very seriously but it also has a good amount of humor that it minds just by kind of pointing out how ridiculous these things are. Like when two of our, the main characters meet to discuss very serious things and the bad guy's mom is like, Oh, Hey, uh, jo- uh, Brendan, would you like uh, orange juice, apple juice? Or would you like to drink? Uh, oh, you already have milk with your cornflakes. So you probably don't want milk, but I do have this uh, country fresh <laughs> apple juice. As they're staring each other down, <laughs> trying to puzzle the other person out. And I, it just does the right amount of that, where you get the laughs and can appreciate how ridiculous this is. But it does so in a light enough way that it doesn't undercut what it's doing. Um, I, For someone who enjoys the breaking of the fourth wall and stuff, I take particular issues sometimes with when movies point out a little too much the way that the movie is made. Like, um, when you have stuff splashing onto the camera, for example, or just kind of like, oh, hey, remember, this is a movie. Like, and this, remember, there's a camera filming all this stuff. People are staring into it. See, The Revenant. But <laughs> this is not Here what we made into that movie. But um, uh, there is a certain level of that that it's hard to get away with, especially when the novelty of a movie wears off. But I think it's just really masterfully done the amount of that he has in Brick, and that's just one of the incredible things about Brick, which is just one of the most inventive and fun movies of the last decade, I'd say. I I will super vouch for this movie, because as we are all aware, Ryan Johnson is one of my favorite directors, Mm -hmm. and this and his other movie, The Brothers Bloom, are two of my favorite movies of all time. And I love Looper. It's Looper is really good too. I would vouch. Uh, it's yeah, Looper is also really good, and I am just so excited for him to work on Star Wars. Like that is like my dream. As soon as I found out he was doing it, I almost cried because that's like my dream scenario. I think most of our listeners of the podcast probably feel some more way, or at least know who Ryan Johnson is. But if anyone listening does not know who Ryan Johnson is, or does not appreciate how incredible it is that he's directing the next Star Wars film, just watch Brick. And Looper and Brothers Bloom and just appreciate that this is the guy who will be taking over. Like, one of our probably, like, our smartest and most clever filmmakers right now 
is taking over this beloved sci-fi franchise. That also, is... historically, the middle Star Wars movie is the best, so... And Colin Trevorrow is directing the ninth, so... We are talking about that. <laughs> I mean, just... I just think they should let Zack Snyder do the whole thing. Okay, hanging up now. Bye. I'm kidding, I promise. <laughs> Dang it, Eero, we lost the thing. I we have some Tyler. really nice momentum going for Ryan Johnson. <laughs> no, it's... Uh... It's that it's just a really fun movie and uh, really bare bones too, considering. But it's just God, it just holds together so well, and it's just I don't know, it's just super impressive. But that that's the thing I especially noticed was uh, the how well he spaces out those clever uh, pointing out the ridiculousness of it, and and made me think of something else. We talk a lot about how we've talked a lot about, especially in relation with Christopher Nolan films. When you know where the movie's going, does the movie hold up? And with this one, uh, it's kind of how I feel about like Edgar Wright films too. Is how well does a movie hold up when the novelty of it wears off when it's doing something unusual? And much like most of Edgar Wright's film, I think films, I think Ryan Johnson has a certain um, manner about his filmmaking where even when you have seen it before, like even when you've become a little more used to his style. Or like the single move, like the when you kind of acclimate a little more to the wavelength his movies are on, they still hold up. They don't, uh, you don't lose anything off repeated uh, watches, even as you know, like kind of what you're in, what's in store. If that makes sense. Well, and I think he's just a wonderfully diverse filmmaker. I think you could look at all three of his films, and they're each distinctly different in subject matter and tone. But yet they still have that same kind of feeling throughout them, like an almost, I don't, I, the best way that I could describe his movies is whimsical, I guess, but it, whatever the more slightly serious version of whimsical yeah. is. <laughs> but yeah, so I will super bet for all of his movies all the time. I was going to say, it's funny we talked about Guillermo del Toro in the same podcast, because he's kind of got that, except the whimsical is more into the fantastical, it's like further along that chain, and I just think it's interesting we talked about those two, what I feel they have kind of they parallel each other in a way yeah it's funny that you mentioned brick because i've tried to watch it like three or four times now and every time i sit down something like happens and i can't even start it so because like a year or two ago i I decided that i was going to try and watch every joseph gordon lovett movie and that marathon never actually happened but brick was like the top of my list that i absolutely wanted to see and i just never got around to it so i gotta fix that yes Underrated movie yes. in that canon, Premium Rush. Not a great movie, yes. but like a great rental. I, just I feel like, like every, I feel like everything JGL does just always like I think I like what he brings to anything he's in. I just feel like he's a very earnest person, and I like I like the way that he talks, like I like his voice, I like his mannerisms and everything, and I I think any most things are better when he's in them, maybe, which is kind of a bold statement, but. I love I would him. agree with that. I think the he's story. one of the better. Yeah, I think he's one of the better actors of this generation. If you consider him as part of like the '90s teen guy that grew up in Hollywood or whatever, like I, I would probably put him up with like Leo McConaughey. We've talked like, about fifty-fifty on this podcast. Yeah, like he's they do different crazy. things, yes. but I, I absolutely think that they are all comparably like treasures of our generation. Well, yeah, and he can do so much. I mean, again, fifty-fifty, thirty rock from the sun, Inception. Batman, you know, he just does a lot. And actually, um, for anyone interested in hearing about him, the, um, his interviews 
from the off-camera show is that the with thing? Sam Jones are really, really good. Oh. And I mean, although, no, this is, um, so they're all up on YouTube and they're all shot in black and white. Um, it's this guy, Sam Jones. I don't know too much background of how it started, but he, um, they don't do pre-show interview. So they just sit down and he just starts talking to them. And I find that he pulls really interesting answers from questions that have been asked multiple times, but he also asks things that haven't been talked about. Um, I've watched interviews with him from people I love. I've watched interviews he's done with people that I can't stand. And I always feel, leave them feeling like I've learned something. Um, in particular, the stuff that he did with um, Rashida Jones, where they talked about, you know, Toy Story 4 and everything. There's some really interesting stuff in there about how Pixar works and everything that I would highly recommend, you know, there's, he's interviewed at least one person you love. And even if he hasn't, his style is just so good that I think they're definitely worth watching. But he talked to JGL about, um, you know, his brother and, and that whole situation. And then also, um, JGL potentially leaving acting. And there were great videos. So for anyone who's, you know, a fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for anyone who's a fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, those are videos that are definitely worth seeking out. Awesome. I didn't know about that. I was have to check it out. He does that hit record TV show that I just like haven't. I he's very he promotes that heavily and I've still never watched it. And he's got like that theater kid earnestness that I think turns a lot of people like or some people off. But with him, I just I, I enjoy it and I think it works pretty well. He's just a really talented dude who seems to mean well. I agree. He's like one of those people where if I found out he was secretly terrible, I'd be kind of devastated. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> I'd be sad, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, we've gone kind of long, but I also will mention, um, I watched like a bunch of horror movies and like, like Cube and The Hollow and Hashtag Horror, and they're all kind of interesting, but no, I didn't like any or dislike any so much so that I feel the need to go in on them. I guess I'll mention, I watched Spotlight, finally. And it's pretty much as good and solid. It's as advertised, you know. It's I'm glad it won Best Picture over The Revenant. It is an ode to. It's an ode to putting in the work, to covering all the steps, to competence and capability and hard work. And a lot of people kind of compare compare the uh, direction and creation of that film to the the work ethic of the journalism that it covered and it makes a nice story, but I also find it pretty accurate. It's just a really solid movie. And, uh, you know, gotta love that the guy who directed it also made the cobbler in the same year, hmm. which Wait, gets, really, yeah, Tom <laughs> McCarthy also directed the cobbler, but I won't hold him responsible for that. That's amazing. I just want to say <laughs> that Elvin and the Chipmunks 4 could have won Best Picture over The Revenant, and that would have made me happy. So. Oh, God. <laughs> Here we go again. Kim, Kayla, you haven't even seen The Yeah, Revenant. you ruined it. You ruined it. <laughs> if I had even wanted to see it in the first place, you ruined it. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm like, The Revenant, Jurassic World, if I can ruin these movies for people before they see them... Uh, not super upset about it. <laughs> but yeah, so none of those movies are what we are talking about this week. <laughs> Thank God. We are talking about Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece, the overdone joke. It's that was bad. No, <laughs> we're talking about Room. <laughs> Thank you for letting us do this interview. We're grateful to hear your story. 
Thank you to everyone who sent their good thoughts and their prayers. For five years, you made life in that small room, that prison, as nurturing and normal as you could. Hey, do you know what we're gonna do today? What? We are going to bake a birthday cake. You chose to tell Jack that room was the whole world, that there was nothing else. Good morning, lamp. Good morning, plant. Good morning, sink. I wanted him to feel safe and that it was a great place for him to live. Did you ever think you would be free? I hoped. <laughs> Hello, Jack. Thanks for saving our little girl. Room is the 2015 film directed by Lenny Abramson. It's based on the book by Emma Donahue, who also adapted the screenplay. It stars Oscar-winning actress Brie Larson, once known to us only as Envy Adams, now all grown up and with a gold statue just like Leo's. It also uh, stars, and really more so, stars the uh, adorable child star of our dreams, Jacob Tremblay. Newly, uh, he has a puppy now named Ray after uh, Ray from Star Wars. It's just adorable. So precious. Uh, yeah, the most precious. The movie was nominated for four Oscars, and it did win one, which was, as mentioned, Brie Larson winning Best Actress. And uh, the movie was, besides being an award season success, it was actually a good, decent box office success as well. It made over $14 million in the domestic box office and $20 million in the foreign box office. I'm sure a good amount of that might have been Canada, as it was filmed there, I'm pretty sure. But uh, it gives it over $35 million total, which I don't know. The the production budget was not listed for that, but I imagine it was not $35 million. So a nice win for A24 there, who just continue to win. Now, the movie, uh, we're going to spoil it right from the jump, much as the trailers did. Uh, the movie's about a young woman. Brie Larson and her son, Jacob Tremblay, who have been held captive in this room for, well, the entire five years of his life and the last six of hers? Seven. Seven? Last seven of hers. And it's about, uh, we're just kind of introduced into a day in the life of their uh, captivity and eventual escape and how they live now. Anyway, uh, Eva... I think I'm the only one who's seen this movie before. So, Eva, why don't you tell us why you picked this movie and uh, kind of just your initial thoughts on it. I mean, to be completely honest, I picked it for the podcast because I knew that I wouldn't be able to convince myself to sit down and watch it if I didn't have a reason to. Um, because anyone that I talked to had been completely emotionally devastated by this movie. Um, and movies like that are tough. Um, but I wanted to, I know that I like coming on here to talk about, I say this as if I've done it more than once, but I like talking with you guys about more serious movies. Um, because I think we can get deeper than what, than just the movie, you know, and I like that you guys allow yourselves and guests to do that. So I know that this is, um, a really sensitive and important subject for all three of us. And I thought that it could make a good episode. And, uh, you know, I'd seen all these interview clips with Jacob Tremblay and I fell in love so instantly. And then I saw all these interview clips with Brie Larson and I fell doubly in love. And I wanted to know what they had done together. I wanted to see that product for myself. 
So that's where that choice came from. That's wonderful. And also, thank you for that nice little drop for our podcast that I'm now going to put You're welcome. There. Uh, I <laughs> You're do, welcome. I, I do. I, I am a little worried that you're just really trying to test my uh, propensity to undercut serious things with bad jokes by just giving me a movie where that's just a terrible, terrible thing to do and just really seeing how often I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> Kayla... You, this is your first time watching the movie, too, and you did not choose it for the podcast. <laughs> Tell us what you thought going into the movie, what you thought coming out of the movie. Um, I guess, okay, so first of all, I wanted to watch this movie for a very long time. I wanted to see it in theaters. I wanted to see it when it first came out. Um, however, I knew that it was going to be <laughs> an incredibly hard thing to watch. So I guess I'm also glad that Eva picked it for the podcast because I'm not sure when I would have otherwise worked up the courage I guess to watch it in a way um but I am a huge fan of Brie Larson and have been for a very long time I think that she's a phenomenal actress and I think she 100% deserved the Oscar that she won for this movie but overall I find that a lot of the movies that I end up liking the most are the kinds of movies that I kind of never want to watch again <laughs> if that makes sense. And I feel like this kind of fits right in with that dynamic with a lot of my favorite movies. Like a good example of that would be like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Definitely one of my favorite movies. Definitely have no desire to watch it. I've seen it twice and I don't think I ever want to watch it again. Um, more fitting, I guess, with like the mood. There's a movie starring Philip Seymour Hoffman and Julianne Moore called Synecdoche, New York which is literally the most depressing thing I have ever seen in my life. And I fear that if I ever see it again, will ruin me. And that's kind of how I felt watching this movie, because while it was really good, there I feel like maybe there was a consecutive four minutes throughout the movie where I was not crying. But I could be wrong. I just, yeah. So... <laughs> well, I guess I'm the only one who saw the movie beforehand. And... Um... I saw it when it was in limited release when I went to visit New York in October, actually. I saw it at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. So the fun thing about that is um, on the way into this movie, I on the, way, on the way to the theater, I passed a guy in a Mob Deep hoodie carrying a child who had a giant beard, sunglasses, and a pink stocking cap. And then I overheard people saying, Quit trying to make queens happen. Queens will never happen. So that was, you know, that's what I was surrounded by going into this movie. And then, and I didn't know much about it. Uh, this is one thing I want to get into. It's also the third time I've told that story in the podcast, I think. But <laughs> one of the things I want to get into is uh, I went in unspoiled. I did not know what was going to happen. I knew very little about it uh, because it was still really early in, the, in its run. And I, I was just like, I saw Short Term 12. I am in on Brie Larson doing things, and she's supposed to be good in this really good movie. Let's check it out. Several tears later. <laughs> so weird how uh, the trees just always manage to find our eyes. Yeah, they just uh, were all over it. I, I was really stunned by it. Uh, it was one of the most kind of affecting and visceral uh, uh, movies I saw last year, and that's... I saw Black Mass in the last week, and uh, that movie, which was also in contention for Oscars, left me feeling like, oh, this is a movie that exists. There, I felt there was no soul. I, like, it seemed purely like a commercial exercise. Like, this, 
I really felt uh, something here. Like this felt like art. This felt like something that I want to uh, recognize and that I want to last and something that could actually like affect our lives and the way we live. And so I'm really biased towards this movie. I watched it again and I had many of the same feelings, even as I knew what was going to happen. So, um, I have a couple points I want to go over, but, uh, I want to lead with, uh, so the trailers for this movie gave away what was going to happen. Uh, and the, they've addressed this, the people behind it, and they did that basically so people would actually go see it so that they knew they weren't trapped in the room forever and that it wasn't going to be the most depressing thing they'd ever seen in their lives. Um, Weak. I, <laughs> Weak. Oh, I just want to like, did you two know that they got out? And uh, how do you think that affected your experience? And are you glad you knew going in or do you prefer not to know? Either um, one you lead us off. Yeah, I did know going in. Um, I had seen an interview and the clip that they showed um, attached to the interview was... Um, when Brie Larson, when Joy is arguing with her mother about Jack, you know, Jacob Tremblay playing on the phone and she's saying, you know, I want him to connect with something and they, you know, have this big argument and everything. So I knew that they got out of room. Um, and I was grateful for that. Um, because it's, it is a really dark movie and I think that it would have been really easy. I mean, it took me an extra hour to watch the movie because I had to keep pausing it so that I could let myself step away, you know, because it's, it was very easy to just get sucked into it. And I didn't want to do that. Um, because it's, it's a, it's a horrifying movie in its own way. Um, and so I was really grateful knowing going in and I don't think that, I think it was important for them to tell people up front that everyone, you know, that they get out of room because you know, because otherwise it turns into a movie about suspense. And that's not why you should be seeing this movie to find out if they escape or not. That's not the point. That's not the story they're trying to tell. They're trying to tell you what it was like for these two people, you know, one who was taken out of the world and one who was brought into a very small world and how they survived, how they related to each other. And then what happened when they got back into the world? It's a story about survivors and what happens afterwards in comparison from how you know the world views them and to what they need and i think that it would have really i i just think it would have been wrong to let people go into that movie thinking that it was about the suspense of it because that undercuts the whole point of the movie well plus if you if you look at it like really i think it's really only the first quarter or so of the movie that they're even in the room because i feel like way more things happen after they get out but that also could just be like, it just feels that way because obviously it doesn't feel like a lot can happen in a very small space like that. Mm -hmm. No, that's very well put. Um... Yeah. That's way better than anything I could have said. <laughs> um, I literally, uh, I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. No, I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I probably was of the opinion slightly that I was never going to be able to watch this movie. So I read the entire synopsis in IMDb like four months ago. Because I was like, well, <laughs> I will Sacrilege. probably, I know there's okay. So at the video store, which shall not be named, the only website we have access to is IMDb. So I very often find myself in those kind of like, well, this movie's from 50 years ago and it's completely impossible to find. I guess I'll just read everything about it. And so like sometimes that kind that same kind of attitude translates over to modern movies where it's like, well, having had the kind of 
life that I've had and the experiences that I've had, there's a lot about this movie that was particularly difficult for me. And I just, outside of, like, doing it for the podcast, wasn't sure if I would ever want to actually sit down and watch it. Like, even even just reading about it was hard. And, like I said, when we were watching it, I was pretty much in tears the entire time. So... I'm really glad that I knew that they were going to get out because, yeah, I feel like if I hadn't known that, I absolutely would have never watched it because I would just, I I would just feel that it would be one of those really either suspenseful or ultimately depressing movies where they don't escape or they end up dying or in the attempt of escape or something stupid like that, which would have really cheapened the experience, I think. And... I do think that's noteworthy because so often we, like, both us, I believe, and, like, the critical community at large or whatever, will, like, get really annoyed when movies give a lot of stuff away. But I think this is a very example of a very, besides just trying, I guess it is to get seats, people in the theater, but um, besides just trying to show people everything, to just try to sell something, this is kind of a little more artfully more artful decision in kind of preparing people for what the movie actually is well i think yeah i think what eva said was really the best way to sum it up like there are people who have gone through serious cases of abuse trying to think of how i want to word this because i'm missing the word that i actually need um but it, it would have been gratuitous and it wouldn't have done the story justice if the story was about whether they get out or not, that's a whole other kind of movie. And it's a completely different story. And I think that that would have been, you know, borderline offensive to what they were actually talking about. You know, the story isn't about, you know, like I said, it's not about do they get out or do they not? It's about how do they survive before and after and during. And I think that's a much more important story than, you know, sitting on the edge of your seat, hoping they get out and wondering if they do. That gets into another point I want to talk about. So the movie is very horrifying as is, and as it is, it doesn't get into the very spe- into most of the specifics about um, the character's confinement in that room for those seven years or like the, the birth of the child. It hint, like it hints at these things or like a, whatever happened is very much influencing the rest of the narrative. But in dealing with this these very sensitive subjects, it doesn't uh it doesn't show much and a lot of that it does by showing it from uh the jack's eyes like by looking at it through jack's eyes we do not see it for as explicit as it could have been i suppose is a matter of saying it and uh in a way that keeps the film from feeling exploitative i think uh that's the word i was looking for (laughs) yeah because i that like there is a whole genre of exploitation films that get into like that kind of thing but um there are many other movies that handle handle similar subject matter but in a much cruder fashion and it comes off feeling much more exploitative uh like and you could kind of make that parallel to how we talk about the characters getting killed off in tv right now and i guess i want to get like i it sounds like we're all pretty positive and we'll be very supportive of this decision but how do you think it handled uh the how do you think it handled the abuse and the the things of a more sensitive nature in this yeah i think the most important choice that they made and something that i really wanted to talk about so i'm glad that you brought this up um when jacob escapes and when you know old nick drives back I was really kind of paralyzed with anxiety that they were going to show us 
where old Nick went next. I didn't want to know if he went back to room. I didn't want to see what kind of confrontation occurred between him and Joy. I, I didn't need to know. I didn't want to know. And I like that the next time that you see Joy is when she's running out with the police. I think, again, it 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 just wasn't necessary. I didn't want to know if he... I mean, the only reason I would have enjoyed seeing old Nick is if they showed us him just not going back to room. But I didn't, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know if he went back and if he yelled at Joy. I didn't want to know if he beat her up. I didn't want to know if he continued, you know, sexually assaulting her. I think that it was much more powerful and, again, respectful to the story that they were trying to tell and the people who they were trying to honor by not showing us that. In many ways, it does the thing, it or it resists the thing that we so often do in real life, which is giving the attention to the... I guess the perpetrator, like the villain, giving the Absolutely. attention to the villain. And like a lot of times we don't mean to do that. It's just we want to know why or we want to know like the why, the who. We want to know everything. But uh, that can kind of backfire in giving more attention and more notoriety to the villains. Uh, like You'll see that with like school shootings and theater shootings and things like that. But um, it kind of just like really resists giving making the story his at all like it refuses at any point to make this story about him in any way yeah i think one of the best things that the movie does is make him kind of a non-entity like we are like we clearly know what is happening between them we clearly know what he has done is like a heinous crime but we don't have these maudlin flashbacks where we watch him snatch joy off the street we don't see him assault her, which I think is, again, one of the best decisions that they made as a filmmaker. And I'm sure that that has to do with the novel being from Jack's perspective and that he wouldn't have seen it or wouldn't have known how to process it. But there is so much media in which people who are survivors of assault are forced to watch over and over again probably very similar situations to the situations that they found themselves in and despite this movie being incredibly heavy and incredibly dark it's extremely refreshing and relieving in a way not to have to watch something like that because like there are scenes in certain tv shows that literally will have like tv shows or movies that will literally have me like shaking or completely paralyzed with fear and anxiety and it's like there's enough of that to go around in this movie without having to explicitly spell out like oh joy is being assaulted now and here is what is happening like you know like the the closest that we ever see to anything like we see her being strangled by nick when jack stumbles out of the wardrobe and makes him angry but outside of that we don't see him hitting her we don't see him breaking her wrist or anything like that it's all told in that kind of like past tense and i think that that really goes to show like the strength of the character too is that we have this character who's had these horrible atrocities visited upon her and she kind of just makes it all into a like a make-believe story for her kid like oh this is my this is bad tooth this is bad wrist this is you know that kind of thing and i think that that's just a phenomenal way to go about it and a credit to emma donahue for you know standing strong and adapting the novel herself and kind of making sure that these things got uh, portrayed or translated in a way that she thought was not only true to the book, but also, you know, 
not terrible. Yeah, I think this movie is really respectful to the group of people that it needed to be, and I think that's its biggest strength by far. And so that's uh, there's so like there's so much subject matter to talk about here, and like I feel like it, it feels like not I'm not totally comfortable with getting into just like the basic uh, film elements and execution of it, but the escape which we've mentioned is one of the most harrowing and well executed things scenes I think I've seen recently. Even just getting. Uh, I think Steven Rennick did most of the music for the film, but they got a This Will Destroy You song as a very some very overt and poignant music to kind of soundtrack his escape. And that really heightened it, and it was just... I couldn't... like. <laughs> it's easy to say something left you breathless or you couldn't breathe, but I legitimately had a hard time breathing during that escape scene. And I just think that was so incredibly well done, and it's somehow both uplifting and terrifying and dreadful right i think the main thing that i thought about that scene was that on top of it being completely anxiety ridden it was also poignant in a way like when the rug unrolls and he's looking up at the actual sky for the first time like i think that was what made me cry more than anything was that like this is a child experiencing the world for the first time and like yeah he's probably scared out of his mind but also completely overwhelmed and maybe like happy to see the things that he's seeing even though he's afraid if that makes sense yeah and that's one of the other things that i really loved about this movie i think they did a phenomenal job at making sure you understood that he lived in a very small world up until that point you know one of one of my favorite things that they did is again they have him square through that entire scene when he's looking up at the sky when they're leaving the hospital and talking to the doctor they're given sunglasses when he gets to you know his grandparents house he doesn't know what to do when he sees steps you know he says ice cream hurts because he's eating it too fast and he doesn't know about you know brain freezer ice cream headaches i think they did a really good job of making sure that the audience understood that that was truly all that he knew up until that point it's very thorough in that way it's there are a lot of things that happen that i wouldn't have even thought about like the sunglasses or the mask or anything like that it's one like a lot of movies it's easy to nitpick how things couldn't happen and here it kind of goes out of its way to point out how it is happening and how all these things that we wouldn't think of are a part of it and it really stands up to like not that it necessarily needs to stand up to scrutiny in so many ways but it it really does it's it, they put it, it's kind of like what I credited Spotlight for. It really puts in the work and it doesn't leave any stone unturned. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of detractors to this film, as I found out in doing research on various things. And I mean, I'm sure we can all guess why <laughs> there are detractors for this movie. And spoiler alert, it's sexism. <laughs> but I just like, I appreciate the effort put in because, like, I feel like. They must have possibly, like, they they probably knew that they were going to have a bunch of dudes trying to nitpick, like, well, why didn't she do this? Why didn't she do this? And why didn't she do that? And I kept, like, Ben and I got into it a little bit where he was like, well, I was just distracted because I was thinking of all the different ways she totally could have gotten out. And I'm like, but here's the thing. You're an adult man on the outside of this situation, having probably never been threatened in any way by 
uh, like, by somebody who you felt could physically, you know, murder you. And also, you have never been a 17-year-old girl suddenly trapped in a garden shed with a number lock on it. Like, yeah, there are probably... And then the time she tries, it goes very badly. And then she has a child to protect for much of her time there. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the detractions from the film are from people who are completely incapable of trying to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And I, I think it's really important to address that because it, in real life, there are a lot of people that want to blame victims of abuse or assault for what happened to them or for like not, not doing what to an outside perspective seems like the logical thing to do. But I think what people always and completely fail to understand is that when things are happening to you, there is not a rule book. There is not ever, like, there's not a time when you sit there and think, oh, well, duh, logically, I should just do this. Because you aren't thinking logically. You're afraid. You're, like, a horrible thing is happening to you, and your brain just does not function at that level when that's happening. And he can, and it doesn't get into this a lot, but we see it a little bit. He can completely controls your surroundings, too, where if you fail, he cannot give you food. He cannot give you water. He can turn off the heat and all that. Exactly. And so, like, in a situation like this and in a lot of real-life abusive situations, it very much just becomes about staying alive, like, rather than trying to think of the big picture. I don't love blaming movies for things, but I think this is an example of, like, so often when we watch movies, part of the whole, like, part of many action movies is... The hero is com- like confined somehow, is like tied up or whatever, and we see them get very creative and escape. Or like in desperate situations, like the the hero always comes through, does something like very risky, but it pays. Like the risk pays off, and they escape. And we don't see many examples of that failing. We don't have any real life experience to kind of teach us how badly it will go if it fails. We just see so often the rewards of success. Mm-hmm. And kind of given a false sense of the ease of that as well. I'm pretty sure like every dude thinks he can fight way better than he actually can. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, and like and that's it's funny that you bring that up because like she does at first like she tried to do something risky. She tried to bash him over the head with the toilet seat and he literally physically incapacitated her to the point where seven years later her wrist is still like unhealed from that. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, was, that was my main point that I wanted to make, was that I think that if you want to spend time nitpicking how the characters could have done this or that, you're, again, missing the point of the movie. And that when you're in a situation like that, it very much, like I said, becomes about survival. And the fact that she was even brave enough to come up with this plan to sneak her son out and have him run for help is should be considered revolutionary and brave and amazingly fantastic because for her like jack is her entire world and her entire lifeline so the idea of sending him out into the world where he could end up killed he could end up you know like just lost and not being able to find anyone if he does get away from old nick like that's like basically her sending out the most important thing in the world to her and just blindly hoping that it goes right Yeah, and I mean, I think this is a good time to start discussing the relationship that they built on screen together, Um, unless you feel that's stepping over the point. No, go for it. Um, Which, yeah, it's, um, I think, I mean, again, with being, with me being 
extra what I do to make a living. Um, I see, I know a lot about the ins and outs of how these things are done. And I'm very curious about how they were able to do a lot of this stuff with a child actor. You know, this isn't like a 30 year old man in stop motion CGI or something. You know, this is, this is an actual child. And I saw in one interview, you know, Brie Larson was talking about how, you know, room that set was actually that big. So the only people who were in there were the people who truly needed to be in there. Um, the director wasn't even in the room, if I remember correctly. Um, and she said that anytime they would finish a scene, they, you know, the director would be given notes. The director would come in and give her notes, and then she would give any of the notes necessary to Jacob. And she talked a lot about how, like, in the screen, in the scenes where they're fighting, you know, she would have to set aside. She would have to put her emotional investment in that on hold and say, like, okay, now this time, like, yell at me a little louder and then get right back into it. And, you know, the thing that one of the things that really mystified me about this is that it's not like a lot of other movies where there's trauma, where there are traumas happening. And it's very obvious that they're, like, cutting and pasting scenes with the kids in. He's in this. You know, when she you know, when she tries to kill herself towards the end of the movie and he opens the door, he sees that. And I'm very curious as to how they made sure that the making of this movie was safe for him. I think one of the most important things that comes up whenever we talk about child actors is their mental health and their safety. And I I mean, maybe not always. I don't think it's always been like that, as you can see from how many of the child stars from when we were kids turned out as adults. And I'm really glad that that's a conversation that we're kind of having more as a culture. But I do wonder what kind of pressure we're so, like, even as we're trying to say that we're protecting them, like, what kind of pressure is still being put on them? Because, as like, we can tell that Jacob Tremblay is an amazing actor, even though he's, like, what, 10? <laughs> but, yeah. like, all, like, from what I was able to research, it looks like his parents were around a lot, and that, like, they handle most of his social media to protect him from seeing anything, like, weird or, you know, un like, inappropriate. But I... I just, I don't know, I lost my train of thought a little bit, <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is I agree with you, and I, while I'm really excited to see what he does next, and while I think that his performance in this movie is next level, out of this world amazing, I do worry that, like, someday we'll end up having to read about how when he was eight years old and filming a movie, it, like, deeply scarred him for life or something. Well, yeah, because, I mean, he clearly has a grasp on what's happening in this movie. Like, there's no way that he, they could have, that he could have that kind of performance if he was treated with kid gloves about what was going on. It's, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just is that great. But I, I really... And I mean, again, it's curiosity. I really would love to hear more of the ins and outs of and of what they did to keep him safe. And again, you know, I think it speaks a lot to what Brie Larson did because, I mean, I don't that usually in things in movies and TV shows and scenes like that, she would be the priority, and she would be the one that everyone would be trying to you know be there for and everything and understanding that it's an exhausting experience for her and all that stuff, and I, I mean, she didn't, I, she was trying to be that person for Jacob, and it's clear in the performances, it's clear in how they both talk about their relationship, it's clear in, you know, just hearing her talk about interviewing, that, you know, this movie was very much about him, and I think, I think it's a real testament, it, it seems that they kept that set very safe, 
and a very, you know, I don't want to say positive environment, but just a safe environment for everyone involved in the, in the making of the film. Right. And I do think it begs the question kind of like how far are we willing to go to get a good performance out of someone or to like for art, basically, when adults sign on for movies like this, they understand what, well, and I don't even, you know, sometimes I don't even think they do, because if you look at Heath Ledger is a great example of this. He knew he was signing on for the role of the Joker, but the immense emotional trauma of playing that role eventually contributed to his death. And so while I'm happy to have movies like this, and while I think that they're very important culturally, I do think that there's not enough conversation going into that, like, there's not enough conversation going into how we, like, how much do we expect actors and actresses to sacrifice for their art, and how much do we, like, how much time do people spend tearing people apart for how they act in real life as opposed to their art and that kind of thing, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. No, I understand. I mean, one of the things I wonder is, so I've, like, I've heard, like, I've listened to a lot of um, takes on this movie and read a lot of takes on this movie uh, before I knew in the past, like, year. Um, and one of them, one of the thing recurring things was kind of, how much of that how much of that was the acting was Jacob Tremblay and how much was the director and I'm kind of curious to see what the director does next because I'm not sure like he clearly does a really good job in this movie but I just um uh, between the writer having so much control of the script and um having to having this uh young child being one of the main actors like I almost kind of wonder about his role in it and um how much of the movie was him because it feels like so much of the movie is the writer and these two actors and often we kind of I feel like often we kind of forget about the director don't give the director enough credit for what the actors are doing but um I don't know I just I, I just kind of this feels a little different than most movies where I'm not I have an even harder time being able to separate what where the directing stops and like the actor's choices begin or where the script comes into play i guess well and i think it's interesting too because we have an author adapting her own work mm -hmm. and i mean i haven't read the book but i have read like you know kind of like a here's what was different in the movie than from the book and i mean we've talked about this a little bit with movies like gone girl where i think that as a writer it's really hard to ever truly be satisfied with something that you've written and i think it's interesting that the author of the book was also the author of the screenplay and from by all accounts it kind of looks like she took this opportunity to improve upon what she had already written and we got into this a little bit we haven't done a gone girl episode but we've talked about it at length where i feel that uh gillian flynn really stepped up to the plate in her adaptation and took a lot of the things that i really disagreed with in the novel and kind of excised them from the film and i think that in this case from what I've seen in the differences between the novel and the film, it kind of looks like all around she just kind of made Joy a more, not necessarily sympathetic, but more understanding character, because it sounds like in the book she was a lot more critical of Jack, 
and a lot like not meaner isn't necessarily the word I would want to use because I feel like given the scenario you couldn't really blame her yeah I think that that was a really good choice because I don't think that this movie works at all without that kind of complete trust and understanding and care between Joy and her son yeah definitely and I think I think it's interesting to see how she leans on him as um I guess maybe an equal, like I love in the scene where she's trying to explain to him that, you know, she's essentially lied to him. And, you know, there is a world outside of room. It's not just outer space. You know, the people on the TV are real and he's not grasping it. And she's begging him and she's saying to him, please, you have to help me. I mean, I think that's the most heartbreaking moment when you realize that, you know, the only act she has in getting out is this five-year-old boy. And it's, I, I think... I think the relationship there is really important, and I definitely agree. I don't think the movie works if they show the difficulty in accepting him as a person that I'm sure happened, you know, off screen in the story. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, when she does the interview later and the news reporter asks a very frankly uh uncomfortable and awful line of questions yeah which like i would love to say like oh my god i can't believe that but having you know grown up in like that kind of media saturated like reality tv show kind of thing like of like can absolutely believe that somebody would really be that much of an asshole to somebody who just went through something like that and i think i i think that kind of circles back to the whole like you have no idea how you would react in this situation. So when the reporter is like, well, why didn't you just ask him to take him to a hospital or something? Like, first of all, in what world do you think? <laughs> yeah, that he's going to take that kid and do get any... himself up. Yeah. And, like, even that, like, because, like, what are they, they could do? Like, they're not just going to be like, oh, thank you for this mystery, baby. Let us place it in a home. Like, they're immediately going to do DNA tests to try and figure out whose baby it is and, like, where it came from. So, I don't know. I think that a lot of the way that the other characters treat Joy in the movie is so unfair, and it makes me so angry. <laughs> well, yeah, but... and I think they... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was... Um, I think that that scene with the interviewer is really important, because I don't think there's anyone that would sit through that and walk away after seeing that scene and say, and not say, like, oh my god, it's awful that they ask those questions. What I hope people realize is that in real life, people are asked those questions. And I, again, it goes back to what I said initially about how this is very much a story about not just survivors, but also how the world views them. And I think that that's something that climate needs to change. I don't think that we need to, I, I think as a society, we ask the wrong questions. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked, like, I mean, you and I obviously have talked about things like this at length, like the entire, like, I guess if you're listening, you might not know this, but, like, the entire reason that Eva and I know each other is because we became friends over being angry about the mistreatment of abuse victims in the music industry. So, like, this is a subject that's very near and dear to me and also to Eva, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, when I look at a scene like that with that interview, literally all I can think of is message boards full of people arguing with me and my friends over and over again wanting to know why the victim didn't do this and why the victim didn't just do the thing that the textbook says that they should do and why didn't they just go to the police why didn't she like 
it's so frustrating to hear those same questions over and over again and to try and explain to people over and over again that that is not how real life works. Like, Do you think the guys that were critical of this movie during that interview scene were like, thank you, someone finally asked that question? Probably. Probably. A hundred percent, yes. From what I know of men, one hundred percent. Someone out there is like the real hero of the movie? That interviewer. Or even, yeah, and like, it's... The scene that immediately follows that is Joy's suicide attempt. And I you think, think those were correlated. I think that that is Jesus Tyler. <laughs> I think that's another thing that people don't understand is when you have been a victim of abuse or assault and at literally every turn all you have are people questioning your motives and questioning like your line of action that can be incredibly damaging emotionally and mentally on top of the horrible thing you have already suffered through so i think eva's right when she says we need to start asking different questions but we also need to start respecting the struggles that people have gone through and understanding that like you have not been in that person's shoes and you do not know how what you think is a valid and important question could lead to somebody attempting to hurt themselves or like withdrawing from society or even like not like uh, like in a real life case dropping their court case or deciding not to go through with it because of all of the criticism yeah i think and kayla i say this to you all the time when we talk i mean you'll be a testament to the fact that this is actually how i live my life um i think if there's someone in your life who's whether it's something like this, whatever it is, if someone is trying to talk to you about something, I think the best, I think the best, the first, and one of the only questions you should ask is what can I do for you or what do you need from me? I think mm -hmm. that too many people are, I think sometimes how people comfort others is more about what they need and not what the person who needs to be comforted needs and that's understandable i mean when really bad things happen to what you love that sucks and that's hard but i think they especially in cases like these were so caught up in wanting the details and wanting to understand and i think first you need to know what you need to do to just be there for someone because it's i think it's so unfair to ask you know questions like what were asked in that interview I've had friends who were asked, well, if it really happened, or, or who were told, well, if it really happened, you would have just gone to the police. And it's a really terrible thing to say to someone. If someone you care about is reaching out to you for any reason, just ask what they need from you. I think that's the first thing that anyone should ask. Yeah, and I think that also plays in not just with, like, the interview questions that Joy gets, but also kind of in the way that her mom treats her. Like, when they have that fight over Jack playing with the phone or whatever um one of joy's main like things that makes her angry is that her mom thinks that she knows what happened or that she thinks she knows what the doctor said and it's it's hard to it's hard to realize that when you're in when you've been in an abusive situation like you're you become so used to having like all of your thoughts like monitored so to so to speak that it becomes incredibly offensive when somebody tries to be like, oh, well, this is what happened, or this is, like, I know what's best for you, in a way, because until that point, like, yes, 
her mom is just trying to be supportive and helpful. But up until that point, the only person who has been telling Joy that he knows what's best for her, whatever, is the person that kidnapped her off the street and held her captive for seven years. And in, and that happens a lot in real life, right. too, where people right. are like, well, don't you think it would be best if you did this? And it's really easy for victims to lash out and become angry because they just kind of want to have that autonomy back. Yeah, and I think that the other thing that I... And I'm not sure if the movie, if I necessarily think that the movie does a good job of this or not. And I'm also not really sure if it matters. Um, but I think, you know, something ha happened to her parents as well. I mean, it's not on the same level and it's not as nearly as physical, obviously. But I mean, her parents were also trying to recover from a trauma as well. And I, I think there's a lot of work for everyone involved in these situations. And I don't think people always realize that these are things you have to work at together. I mean, you, there's work that you have to do alone and there's work that you have to do together as a group. And I really liked that the movie showed Jack finding a relationship with his grandmother. And I felt that they really earned it. And I felt the movie earned and I felt like his grandmother earned the moment where he looks up at her and says, Grandma, I love you. More trees in eyes feelings during yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, especially with a situation like that, like that kind of trauma is not singular. And it, like you said, it affects everybody. Like I'm sure that they probably after a certain point had to just be like, well, our daughter is dead and she is never coming back. And so I'm sure it must've been incredibly hard for them to suddenly be like, Oh, well, we like, cause it's like when you lose a family member or a friend or something, it's obviously not something that you ever just like, well, I have dealt with that and it is gone. Like, obviously it's something that sticks with you, but to a certain point you kind of compartmentalize that grief and you don't really let it go, but you kind of bury it in a way. So for them, like that is a trauma that they have maybe not healed from, but they have learned to deal with and just go on with their lives because for them probably like five years ago, they had to just come to terms with the fact that they were never going to see her again. So I can only imagine how, like, almost at first, like, unbelievable and maybe kind of terrible it would be to find out and, like, how, like, the kind of guilt that you would feel from having done that and, like, accepting that your daughter was dead when she was just hidden the whole time. I was just going to say, and I think the movie does a really good job of kind of playing out that, yes, what happened to Joy and Jack was terrible, but also letting us in on everybody else's feelings on the situation too and like we kind of like we've joked around about the stepdad or whatever but he's one of the best parts of the film honestly he doesn't like i can't imagine like first of all marrying somebody who's had that kind of thing happen to them and then like just kind of like like he just rolls with the punches the whole <laughs> he time does. he's like all right you're here i guess you want to eat some cereal with me like <laughs> let's do it man like, come on grandkids anyway yeah it's, it's well yeah and i love i love when um when they first walk into the hospital room and william h macy and um so you know joy's father and her mother they're both hugging her and you know his mother looks up at jack and the first thing she says to him is and i i don't even know if say it without crying because I already feel the tears coming. But she says to him, "Hi, Jack. Thank you for saving our daughter." And I, I loved that from the get-go. They, they made sure that there was a respect for that character and for mm -hmm. what he did and for how brave he was in that situation. I love that they never shied away from, you know, the gravity of it being a child doing this. And I thought that was one of the most, you know, powerful points of the movie by far. 
Yeah, it would be so easy to just be like, oh, thanks for sticking it out, like, buddy, you know, yeah. and just, like, living through it. But, like, he was really, without him, she would have never escaped, probably, yeah, so. Yeah, also, m- many props to Joan Allen. She's really, really good in this, both, like, when she's being kind of the doting grandmother, but also in her reactions with, or in her um interactions with Joy and Brie Larson. Um, I think she just does a really good job in this movie, and it kind of made me happy because I know her mostly from the Bourne trilogy, really. But um, <laughs> but uh, Tyler she's the a Bourne fine, trilogy. She's a fine actress, and it was really good to see her getting a good look here and getting like a really nice role to play, mm-hmm. and really knocking it out of the park. She's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. The last thing that I really want to say is that on top of everything. This is a profoundly moving experience. It is a dynamic and visually stunning piece of art. And I think that hopefully someday it will be recognized as one of the best films of this decade. Not just because of the art direction and because of the acting jobs that are done. But because of the incredibly respectful and really beautiful way that they find to deal with this kind of case and with like obviously lots of people who are abused have not been locked in a room for seven years but I think that there's something in this film that resonates with people who have lived through hard situations and who have lived through sexual assault and I think it's an incredibly important piece of work for people to see and react to and learn from we have movies about trauma a lot Uh, like most movies are about trauma of some kind but we haven't seen a movie, we don't get a lot of movies that are about this trauma and that are so well executed about this trauma. Like, we'll see, like, we talk about how there are so many World War II movies or films about war. And, like, you'll, the, you'll deal with the trauma of those. But, like, this kind of, um, pers- like, more at-home personal trauma we don't see dealt with as much. Part of it, Partially because of the tough nature of it, but also, honestly, probably because we harp on this a lot, the people who are making movies. Uh, It's not something that many of them probably consider a lot. Definitely. Eva, Kayla, any other final points? That was pretty much my final Um, point. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the most important word when it comes to this movie is respect. And I think they respected the people in the movie, the characters in the movie, and the real-life people outside of the movie who, you know, have been through a similar trauma. I, I think it really does, speaking from someone who is not a survivor, um, from an outsider's point of view, I thought they did justice to what they were trying to do. And I think that's the biggest compliment you can pay a movie who sets out to do something like that. Well, now, let's move on to fun trivia! <laughs> Um, as you can probably guess, there isn't a lot fun of trivia. super fun trivia about this movie because it is sad as shit. But, um, <laughs> one of the things that, I th- so we talked a lot about how we thought it was really amazing that Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay were able to bond so well and create this amazing on-screen relationship together. I think it's funny. So when they were initially trying to get them to bond, like obviously Jacob's parents were there and they were all just kind of hanging out and... Uh, his mother asked him if he had any questions for Brie, and he only had three questions, which were, what are what were her fa- what was her favorite color? 
what was her favorite animal and whether or not she liked Star Wars. <laughs> Which really, I guess if you think about it, those are kind of some of the most important questions you can ask a person. <laughs> He's not wrong. You can tell a lot about someone from those answers, definitely. That's <laughs> a, I think it's a very insightful three questions. <laughs> I mean, this was pre-Force Awakens, so Kayla's answer would to the last one would be very different. It definitely yeah. depends, yeah, because... <laughs> yeah. You have to give people room to change and grow, always. Exactly. <laughs> and Kayla's a better person now for it. <laughs> well, yes. Star, War- Star Wars is a better series for <laughs> yes. their yes, their yes. growth and adaptation to society. But That is absolutely true. <laughs> Tyler, what is your uh, stat of the week? All right, well, uh, my stat of the week is about good old Canada. Because that is, you know, fine life. Oh, Canada. Let's immediately get into terrible Canadian stereo or uh, uh, accents, eh? Yeah, hey, yeah. Oh, people. come on, Kayla. I, see, mine will just like I'm more Minnesota, so like you Minnesota. betcha. Let's talk about that snow out there, eh? Minnesota. <laughs> you betcha. Tim Hortons and hockey. <laughs> Anyway, so there are six total films on the 250 currently. Uh, uh, Five of the living room, obviously, that were partially filmed in Canada, it looks like, according to IMDb. So, you know, caveat. Uh, Interstellar, our favorite film from our favorite filmmaker. (laughs) I shouldn't bring on too much because we do actually like him. Uh, Room, of course. Uh, Deadpool. Which is now down to 122 on the IMDb Thank as we God. Film this, the 250s. <laughs> below, two spots below room. But yes, also very Canada, that Deadpool. And uh, Incendies, which makes sense. It's our French Canadian friends, Venive. And uh, Hotel Rwanda, which I did not expect at all. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And the last one is Catch Me If You Can. Just proves that Vancouver. <laughs> just proves that Canada truly has the cheapest places to shoot movies. <laughs> Hotel Rwanda was filmed in Canada. Deadpool. Eh? Deadpool. Deadpool. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So moving on. Uh, Eva. Really, just finishing with a laugh. That's what I wanted, you know, just a light note. Like, yeah, no, I am one hundred percent on board. Eva, uh, what movie would you recommend in tandem with Room? You know, I hope you guys don't get mad at me. Um, I did not choose mad. a movie. I chose something much better. Um, I think everyone should go onto good old YouTube and find Brie Larson's music videos from her aspiring pop star <laughs> career. <laughs> I am 100% down with oh, that. The, the vul- oh, say, there's a vulture piece about this around the time she won that I'm absolutely putting in the notes. Like, remember Brie Larson's pop career a decade ago? Yeah, because I do remember it, and that saved me from like dying in emotional despair after this movie. So I think everyone should do that, and everyone should check out Jenny Lewis's music video of Just One of the Guys with... Uh, Brie Larson, Kristen Stewart, and Anne Hathaway. I think that everyone deserves to see Brie Larson having fun because it's either Room or it's Short Term 12. And uh, I think everyone <laughs> needs to know what, like, that sometimes she does, like, exist in happiness. So, so so go do yourself that favor. Well, I'm going to go ahead and butt in front of Kayla just because my recommendation is Short Term 12. I might have even recommended it before. I'm not sure. But it's just I will never miss a moment to – an opportunity to recommend that movie because it's really good 
And it was just as, well, maybe not just as, but it was also very deserving of awards consideration, or just like, not even awards consideration, of just like a wider audience and being appreciated by more people. Um, but it, it, it's really good. I own it. You should own it too. It's on Netflix. There's no excuse. There's no excuse, Kayla. There's no yes, excuse. I know. I'm the only person that hasn't seen it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, dude. You heard no excuse, right? You heard that. Well, own it, right? <laughs> I was gonna recommend like a movie about being kidnapped or whatever, but that is we just had a really hard, long discussion. Yeah, and... don't watch the Lovely Bones immediately after. Nope, nope. So I'm gonna say that Scott Pilgrim. That's what I was gonna say. Yes, is that you should watch <laughs> Scott Pilgrim and watch Free Larson sing a metric song and step on a boy with high heels and have the coolest hairstyle of all time. And I just really want those strappy high heel boot things. We nailed the recommendations this week, guys. <laughs> we killed it. <laughs> we we really mm. nailed it. Like I don't. I think you should, guys should like retire the segment. I don't know that it can ever be done better. <laughs> we than can we never just recommend did it. a movie again. <laughs> no, I, I think we. Uh, I think we hit the ceiling. <laughs> the Brie ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no ceiling when it comes to Brie. Okay, she can do. There whatever. isn't. <laughs> Hopefully, true. she doesn't get sucked into a terrible. <laughs> Uh, there seem to be more opportunities for actresses so they don't get stuck in, like, you know, The Huntsman. Which We're not talking about that. Holding down nope. three, like, just wasting the time. Some more greatest actresses. Yeah. It's a bummer, but we're not going to talk about that, because maybe somehow, Huntsman. in some way, <laughs> that movie will pull through and not be the worst thing ever. I am not even remotely optimistic, but I can dream. I thought it was going to be campy fun, and then I, it's just... I will say that Halsey did get to do a really cool, like, orchestral re-recorded version of her song Castle for the trailer, which is pretty cool. I did notice that. I mean, That's Emily, the only interesting Emily, thing about that movie. <laughs> like, Emily Blunt rides a polar bear, and I still don't want to see it. Like, that, yeah, that's how can you make bad. Emily Blunt? It's wrong. It's just straight up wrong. Anyway, um... I'm going to wrap this up because I have to go to work in 12 minutes. <laughs> um, Eva, thank you for forcing both of us to watch this movie and getting through it. it. it was, that... I don't want to say it was my pleasure, but I always enjoy <laughs> giving I... words and feelings and exchanging them with you guys. Yes, I am really grateful. On a that public got... platform where people <laughs> listen. Yes. Soon to be sponsored by... Audible. Squarespace. Squarespace, yeah. Um, I am really grateful that we got to have this kind of long and deep and interesting discussion about a film like this. Oh, not podcast advertising? No, we're not podcast advertising. <laughs> My Blue Moon, first PJ, or whatever it is I said last week. I'm yeah, so... so grateful that I had a pack of Milano raspberry chocolate cookies to eat. They are irresistible. So why resist? <laughs> All right, anyway, now that we're <laughs> done with that... <laughs> I'm trying to get you guys the good advertisements. These are the markets on tap. I'm just trying yeah. to help out. That would be a good one. I would like I to gotta say, I have enjoyed using my Tervis water bottle uh, during this podcast. I'm using it for water right now, but it can also hold hot beverages like uh, Yo, the fresh Tervis coffee. Tervis are fucking great. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so happy you just brought this up. I love Tervis tumblers. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I'm glad we're all on the same page about Tervis tumblers. I'm so passionate we... about these. We have more product placement than a, than a Michael Bay movie, and at least he gets paid for it. Josie and the Pussycats nailed product placement, by the way. But that's for that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> All right, I am ending this ad time. 
for things Same. that we're not going to get paid for. Same. Um, he might. So, don't ever say never. That's true. Be more positive about it. I'm listen. I'm trying to make like the secret. I'm putting it into the universe. You guys, it's gonna happen. Thank you, Eva. You're welcome. <laughs> so, as we talked about last week, our list of social medias has become quite unwieldy. So, I'm going to take the initiative to cut this down and tell you the important ones, and not all of them. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. It's twitter.com/ltrfipod. That is the most interactive and best way to get a hold of us. Usually. If you would like to be a guest on this podcast or you have something that you desperately need to tell us that cannot fit in 140 characters, you may email us. The email is ltrfipod at gmail.com. And the most important and cool new-ish thing we have is our newsletter, which is tinyletter.com slash ltrfi. So the newsletter is just fun interesting movie news that we find and are interested in also jokes you guys are so hip and with it (laughs) yes so obviously you know we have facebook tumblr and all that other stuff but those three are really the main most important things if you find one you can probably find all the others yes and i'm assuming that they're all in the show notes anyway so um thank you to my beautiful wife eva for being on this episode Thanks to Tyler for sitting in a walk-in closet with me for two hours while we talk. Yeah, we will hopefully see you again very soon. Do we have our next episode lined up? Kind of. Yo. Might be on soon. Yeah, we have several things in the works. We might try to sneak in just like a me and Tyler episode in the meantime while we get that solidified. And yeah, so I have to go to work in eight minutes. So as a sign-off... Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. Brie Larson is an underrated national treasure that we should be focusing more on. We'll see you at the parents' conference. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) The end. Yeah. Bye. You sound like a sad monk. That's not post rock. I don't know. It's. (laughs) And on this day on Facebook the other day, it was like, oh, I'm getting Facebook ads for Mogway. It must be these hipsters I know. And I think I tagged, like, you and Kevin Edwards. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and so in 2009, 2010, I was apparently really concerned with, I might be becoming a hipster. Ah." And now look at you. (laughs) Look at the trash I am today. It's so good. Like, I just want to, like, I feel like that's what's going to play when I, when, like, a bear is eating me. Or when I'm, like, fighting a bear. Because that's how I'm going to die. Like, like life isn't just going to get me. You're going to die like, it's gonna be something. a bear. Like, it's going to be, so- listen, here's the thing. Like, would you, what would shock you more if you got a phone call that said, Eva died peacefully in her sleep. There was no, like, pain, no suffering. She just didn't wake up. Or... Eva was, wa- Eva was walking down, like, downtown Los Angeles, and a piano dropped out of the sky and fell on her head. Like, which is a more fitting death for my entire life? I mean, I would hope that that wouldn't happen. I don't know. <laughs> but it's Kayla, clearly going to be something you want weird. Eva to die. How do you want Eva to die? Just think <laughs> about know. Eva dying. No, I'm just saying which is going to be a bigger surprise. 
the like Eva just fell asleep and didn't wake up is clearly going to be more surprising because like as evidenced by my entire life it's got to be a goddamn story Eva does have the most cinematic life of anyone I know outside of like me vaguely thinking I might be secretly being filmed for a TV show at all. Finally, the person who dropped the piano, Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> in a bear costume. Damn it! <laughs> Ramsey Bolton. And... Yeah, and then you can cut off his penis and send it to his dad. Pretend Whoa. to eat it in front of him. That just got real dark. <laughs> Have you not seen Saturday? that part of Game of Thrones? I don't watch Game of Thrones. It's okay. fine. Don't. For reasons as what you just described. You're Jesus not into Christ. seeing a man get his genitals uh You don't removed. actually see it. Stop it. <laughs> imagine getting that email. Like, imagine just, like, going out to your, like, P.O. box or whatever, and, like, you open it, and there's a package, and you're all excited, and then you open it, and it's like... This would have never happened if we'd gone through audible.com and gotten an audiobook. <laughs> Amazon Prime. Free two-day shipping for your enemy's dicks. Oh my god. Oh my god, I know this so... isn't even supposed to be in the episode, but we need all of this. Except for the part where Eva said... <laughs>